God have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out of a to, out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God. I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Let's pray. Father, we just love you. Uh, What a joy it is that we are able to gather here as a family. Um, Lord, I just pray for this uh, church, for Pastor Marcus. He's um, prepared to give your word, Lord, that it would be your Holy Spirit working through Mark and not his words. Um, Lord, open our hearts and our minds. Uh, Give us a spirit of humility that we might draw closer to you this morning, learn a little bit more about you. Um, And I just thank you again, Lord, you've blessed us so much. Individually and corporately, and um, I just thank you for the opportunity to come here um, and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> While we're continuing through the Book of Psalm, <clears throat> there are, in general, there are six different types of psalms, and we're slowly working through. We got twelve weeks. We're going to take one at a time. Um, <clears throat> It's very challenging to us that we need to look at the six different types of psalms. Um, Too easily we go to the ones that we're familiar with, such as Psalm 23 or Psalm 150 or Psalm 1, Psalm 2. Um, And we like to focus on those because we understand them. They're a little bit more straightforward. Um, But uh, it's good for us to wrestle with psalms maybe that we've never dealt with. Maybe we've read them in the past, but we never really wrestled with them. And so our first week, two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 29, which was a psalm of praise. Last week, we wrestled with and we sat in, and I use that word on purpose, sat in Psalm 39, uh, which is a lament because there's no resolution to it. If you're a musician, if you, if you well, even if you're not, you can hear songs that are called unresolved, that at the end of the song, you want it to end, but it's a, it's a different chord. It's an unresolved chord, and you want it to move, but it doesn't, and it's done on purpose to grab your attention and to hold you. Um, the same with a lament. There's this, it's not a, a, an, an anger as in like a sinful anger, um, but it's opposite of praise of God, and yet He's still given the glory through it. Because there are situations in life where there is no answer. (laughs) We want the answer. We want to be healed. We want to get out of a difficult situation, and the answer, well, the answer from God is no. 
You need to sit and you need to wait for a while. And a lament is healthy for us because we're not given the conclusion, the resolution of a situation, and yet God is still good. He is still our God. He's still taking care of us. He's still hearing us. We may not feel him. We may not see him, but as his people, we know through faith that he is there. And that forces us to turn our trust to him. And so a lament is an expression of basically, to put it in modern terms, God, you are God, and yes, you give me the strength, but what in the world are you doing? I'm done with it. But you're not answering me right now, but you're still God, and so I trust you, even in the midst of not having an answer, even in the midst of not having a resolution. That's a lament, and I think too, sore, too much the church has sorely needed laments because there are situations in life where you just don't have the answer. And let's be honest, you come to church and you don't want to be clapping your hands for joy because you're hurting and you're in pain and there is no answer other than God is good. That's a lament. And that's why we say we have to sit in that. You just sit in it and you chew it like a, like a cow chews cud over and over again resting in the goodness of God despite the circumstances of life. That was last week. So this week, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. Yay! Psalm 66. It's a, six. it's a psalm of Thanksgiving. As Luke read, we may have noticed that the words praise and worship are used actually quite a bit. So that begs the question, what is the difference between a psalm of praise and a psalm of Thanksgiving? Well, a very simplistic answer is that psalms of praise worship God for who He is, and Psalm, um, Psalm 29, that's Psalm 29, describes God as glorious, strong, powerful, mighty, majestic, has the power over life and death. He's the king and throne over all creation forever. That's, that's basically the psalm, Psalm 29. Well, you go to today, Psalm 66, it's a psalm of thanksgiving, and psalms of thanksgiving worship God for what He does. So a psalm of praise is, I praise you for who you are. Psalm of thanksgiving is, thank you for what you've done in my life. And that's Psalm 66. It focuses on the deeds of God. There's always a danger, though, of falling in one ditch or the other. We can focus too much on God's deeds, and we can forget who He is as God, um, we could proclaim his character too about who he is and we forget about the deeds that he's done. In other words, we could, we could lose one for the other. Well, you know, we don't want to just focus on what God has done for us because that's more centered on us in our minds. And if we do that over and over and over again and we forget to proclaim God, uh, praise God for who he is, then yes. And so we have to have a balance of the two. This is our God, who He is, and this is what He does for me. And I worship Him, and I praise Him, and I give Him glory. And so we have to be very careful, but this is also why we, have, uh, we study the whole counsel of the Word of God, because it's only in studying His whole counsel, the whole Word of His God in here, in this case, all of the Psalms, or all the types of Psalms, that 
we gain a better understanding and love of God as a whole, not just simply the parts that we like. If you want to bring like a marriage into it, my, uh, your spouse or um, a, a family member, let's just say if you're not married, you have a family member, um, you could focus on everything they do for you, right? And you just, thank you for doing this, thank you for doing this, but you talk about nothing about who they are as a person. Well, you're not getting the whole being of that person. Whereas if you just talk about how lovely the person is and how beautiful the person is and how great that person is, you never talk about the deeds that they do for you to give them thanks. Do you see that you're not getting a whole relationship with that individual? You're just getting one point, and it's the same thing with God. We've got to take the whole counsel of God and see who He is as a whole. He is a God worthy of being praised. He's a God worthy of being thanked for. And he's a God of wrath, and he's a God of love. He's a God of grace, and he's a God of judgment. He's all of that put together, but perfectly. He does what we cannot do. He is who we cannot be. And so Psalms like Psalm 66 then force us to deal with God's deeds. But the interesting thing um, is that it deals with what we de- deeds that we would deem negative and positive from our point of view. So the psalmist begins with a call for all the earth to worship God. And we're like, yeah, totally get that. How awesome are his deeds? That's great. And then he proceeds to speak of those deeds, both the positive deeds and the negative deeds. And when the psalmist sh- then the psalmist shifts to give a personal testimony of God's deeds in his own life, ending with a call for the reader to bless God because of what he's done, both as a nation, Israel, and as an individual, Israelite. There's one final aspect of this psalm then before we get into it that I see as an important factor in how we understand this psalm. We like to read ourselves sometimes too much into Scripture, um, and we lose what's actually being said for our own agenda. Um, last week, the psalm we looked at, it said the word Lord. So if you have a, a, a Bible, a lot of times the, the translators, they will, and the editors, they will make uh, Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitalized. Well, that's a sign that that name or that, that word right there is actually Yahweh, the personal name for God. I am who I am. And last week it was used like, I think, 18 times. It was just crazy how many times it was in that psalm. So that's important. Well, interestingly enough, that's not in this psalm at all. He doesn't use that name for God. He uses the word, the name God, which is general Elohim. And what that word or that name actually describes is not I am who I am, but it describes where God is. He is heavenly. He is divine. And so if you compare that to the phrases used to describe the readers of this psalm, that would be you and me, all the earth, children of man, O people, all who fear God, there's there's a clear distinction being made between the reader, us, and God. He is divine, we are earthly. He is the creator, we are the created. And this is important for us to remember because the psalmist has written some things with which may make us very uncomfortable. We may not like to hear it. It may be like, ah, it's true, but do you really have to say that? 
And do, do we need to praise God for those things? And yet, those things are no less true because God is God and we are not. So we have to see this as this is our way of praising God for his deeds, not praising us for how we respond to his deeds. It's a very, it's a very different type of psalm, <laughs> if you want to say, okay? So does that all make sense? That's the, kind of the background, and we need to keep that in mind as we work through that. So let's dive into it. Verses 1 through 4. It's a call to worship. Shout for joy, seeing the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. Man, what a way to start a song, right? You're like, amen, amen. Shout and sing for the awesomeness of God's deeds. And the word awesome here, and Albert, we've had this conversation, I don't know how many times, right? He hates that word if it's used incorrectly, and I agree with him. That word awesome has been diluted in our, I blame the 80s. I do. I blame the 80s. It's been diluted in our culture. Hey, I got a really really good score on my test. Well, that's awesome. That's not how the Bible uses that word. It's not a, boy, that's wonderful. That's great. No, to be awesome in Scripture is to be great and fearful. And so to proclaim that God's deeds are awesome is to exclaim their greatness. That would make sense, right? Oh, man, look how great God's deeds are. Absolutely. But then you say, well, how fearful are your deeds? And that's where that Elohim Yahweh comparison comes in, or maybe you should say the Elohim and me, (laughs) divine and earthly. God is God. I am not. And when God reveals his power, Throughout Scripture, when God reveals who He is, okay, let's just, uh, since, since um, the Exodus is in this psalm, when Israel is at the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai, and they hear God with trumpet and earthquake and all of the descriptive words, thunder and lightning and smoke and clouds and all these things, the people don't go like, yay, God is here. He's here. I'm so excited. No, they go, oh my gosh, I'm going to step away, Moses. You talk to God because I don't want to die. There is a revelation and understanding when God moves, he moves in great and fearful ways. Not fearful as in like, um, like a, a bad father who disciplines just for whatever reason because he's irritated. That's not what God does. God's a good God. He's a loving God. But he could also smite you off the face of the earth if he decided, and he'd be right to do so. Do you see the balance? I love God, but I also understand my place with God. He's not something to be trifled with. He's not a genie in a bottle. He is always right. He is always perfect. He is always powerful. He is always good. And so I fear him out of respect because I know what he could do to me, and he'd be right to do it to me. And this is exactly what the psalmist does. He proclaims the awesome deeds of God. All the earth, all the peoples of the earth worship you, God, because of your great and fearful deeds. But then the psalmist turns to us, to the reader, and he proclaims, come, come and see these awesome deeds. And this is verses 5 through 12. Come and see the awesome deeds that God has done toward his people Israel. 
He rescued them out of slavery and the Egyptian army by turning the Red Sea to dry land. It's the first thing he calls. And then right away, he goes, he dries up the Jordan River so that Israel could pass through on foot to begin the conquering of the promised land. So he says, look at the awesome and fearful deeds of what God did. When the Red Sea was parted, the people, yes, they were excited, but they were fearful because they began to see who God really is. And yet, then after both these incidences, they're saved from slavery and saved from destruction by the Egyptian army. They cross on dry land of the Red Sea, and then after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they end up at the Jordan, and the Jordan does the same thing, and they cross on dry land in order to conquer the promised land that God gave to them, and they worshiped God, it says. They worshiped. They rejoiced in seeing his great and fearful deeds. And in context, this is not referring only to the nations of land of Canaan when he says, well, here, let's just, let's just look at it. He says, starting in verse 6, he turned the sea to dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eye keeps watch on the nations. That's all the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. He's speaking of not just Israel, and he's not speaking just of the land of Canaan when he speaks of nations. Because there are many times that the people of God would rebel against him. Read the book of Judges. Shortly after the generation of Joshua, they begin the up and down more down than up, but rebelling against God, disobeying him. He brings judgment upon them. And then they follow him and, and life is good. And he, his presence is with them. And then they rebel again and they go down. He's also showing the nations of Canaan and all the earth, including us today, how great and awesome are his deeds. And when we rebel against him, that we incur his judgment upon us. And that's all very negative, right? But the psalmist doesn't see it that way. Because shortly right after that, he says, praise God. Worship him. Why? Because he has kept our souls among the living and he has not let our feet slip. In other words, praise him for not destroying all of Israel when we rebelled against him. For God tested their loyalty to them, to him. Only three days after crossing the Red Sea, right? Remember that? Crossing the Red Sea on dry land. They rejoice. Three days later, they begin to grumble against God and against Moses. And that incident in Exodus Exodus is described as a test from God as to whether they will actually listen to him or not. And there are many other tests throughout Israel's history, all given to test and to try his people. Just as silver is heated and the impurities are removed, and so these trials separate those who were truly God's people from those who were not. Those who rejoiced in his deeds and those who were bitter against him and grumbled. It was a hard lesson 
for the nation of Israel to learn because thousands of people died. God did this. God laid a net, the psalmist says, or a snare for them, crushing them under a huge burden. God brought other nations to ride over their heads. Now, not literally, okay? That's metaphorical words for they utterly crushed us and defeated us. Nations who hated God came in by God's power, defeating us and enslaving us as God's people. And yet, despite all of this, the psalmist says God is to be worshipped, not despised. Why? Because he's brought us out of this to a place of abundance. Now, don't hear here an abundance of wealth, health, and prosperity. That's a heresy. God may give wealth. He may give health. He may give prosperity. Praise his name. But he may give the opposite and praise his name. So this is not a promise as in like, well, you know, if you just give God worship, then he's going to give you everything. You're going to have this big house and a nice car, and you're not going to have any problems. You're not going to have any health issues until you die. Sorry, that's, that was my personal thing coming out there. It's not an abundance of material things. He may do that. He may not. It's an abundance of God himself. Another way to translate that word abundance is saturation. God himself saturated people, his people with his presence. And the text points to this in the very next verse, verse 13, when he says, I will come into your house. I will come into your presence with burnt offerings. The focus shifts then from the nation of Israel as a whole and what God has done, both negative and positive in their sight, but all positive, according to God, to now personal in the psalmist's life. He may not have been alive, the psalmist may not have been alive when Exodus happened or the conquest of the promised land um, occurred, and yet God continues to do the same deeds, both positive and negative, in the psalmist's life. And maybe a better way to say it is that no matter the time in history, no matter whether it is God's people as a whole or God's people individually, God does awesome deeds to proclaim his greatness and his worthiness to be worshipped by his people. God is the same God, and he works in the same ways. Now, if verses 1 through 4 are a call for all the earth to worship, verses 13 through 15 or a call to the individual that, to that same type of worship. Worship the Lord. In the midst of trials and tribulations, God is at work in the life of those who belong to him. And as we found out last week, we may never know when or how God is going to move to relieve his people. But he says pray. Continue to pray. He may not answer in the way or the time that we desire, but he hears the prayers of his people. He always hears the prayers of his people. Unless they love sin, which in case they're not God's people. <laughs> but his people, he always hears them. In the case of Psalm 66, 
The psalmist made vows in the midst of those trials. Now, I don't, I don't think this is the normal, well, if you get me out of this situation, I'll pray every day and I'll go to church every single week, Lord. I promise. I promise. Words that are usually forgotten once the trouble is over. I don't, I don't think that's what the psalmist is saying here. He vowed to present a burnt offering of rams, bulls, and goats to God if he would end his suffering, if God would end his suffering. That's not a small feat. Goats, bulls, rams, those are expensive. And when God brought him out of his suffering, the psalmist kept his vow and he fulfilled that vow. He went to the presence of God in the temple or the tabernacle and he sacrificed, he gave back to God to say, worthy are you, O Lord, for what you have done is awesome. Not only getting me out of these trials, but what you did in those trials. And he proclaims then to the people around him, Come and hear what God has done for me. He can't help himself but cry out to the people around him. He gives a personal testimony, a testimony of God's great and fearful deeds in his life. He says, all, all you who fear God, all you who are God's people, let me tell you what he has done for my soul. So not just physically, but spiritually. What, has God, what God has done to change him? Look how great and awesome my God is. is. Look what he's done for me and to me through these trials. And he heard me when I cried out to him. God heard his prayers. God listened, bringing him out of his trials. And God is to be blessed because he didn't reject his prayers. He never rejects his prayers of his faithful children. And he never removes his steadfast love for him, which is why it's called steadfast love. It's steadfast for a reason. It's long-lasting. It's long-enduring to the end. And so blessed be God. Praise and worship him. Shout his glorious praise from the mountaintops. Why? Because of everything God has done, both what we would consider negative and positive for his people as a whole and his children individually because he tries us and purifies us and sanctifies us. The people of God are not limited to the nation of Israel. This psalmist is speaking to the nation of Israel. But the people of God is not limited to the nation of Israel, to Jews, or to the descendants of Abraham. God put that, to, that notion to bed through Paul's words in Galatians 3.7 when he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And so those who believe and have faith in God through Christ alone, through grace alone, they are God's people. Not the ones who give more money. Not the ones who go to church more often. Not the ones who pray more often. It's those who have faith. Now, we do those things <laughs> to give, give our offerings to God, to give Him 
praise, to pray to him, to get into his word, to attend church and to attend Bible studies and to attend together as God's people to sharpen one. And those are all outcomes of the fact that he has saved us. Because let's be honest, none of us would spend time in the Bible in depth or in any significant way if God had not saved us. Because we wouldn't understand what he's saying. And yet when we're saved, the Spirit comes and teaches us and guides us so that we can do those things, to read His Word, to know who He is. So those who believe and have faith in God through Christ are His people, what we call the church, what the Bible calls the church. The church is found throughout the world. It's not limited to one nation or people group. The church is not American. It's not Sudanese. It's not English. British, let's just say British, right? It's none of those. The church is the church. But for application's sake, let's just talk of the local church, us, Elm Creek. This is true for the church as a whole, but this will kind of bring it down to us and then to us individually who are God's, who are God's people. Come and see what God has done for us as a church. Now, around 30 years ago, a group of faithful believers gathered together to fulfill the call of planting a church in this area. And that group slowly began to grow, and they found a Tom Thumb store, which you're sitting in right now. Yeah, that's throwing back, right? When the building was about to be put on sale, because let's, let's just say there's, there's no off-ramp, and this is not the best place to be having a convenience store. So they wanted to put the building up for sale, and the church said, and the church leadership said, well, we'd like to buy it, but we can't afford what you're asking for it. Well, what, what can you afford? And they asked for roughly 50%. Was it less than that, Albert? 25% of the offer, and it was accepted. Who does that? except God. Years later, here we are gathering regularly in this building. Looks a little different. (laughs) And yet we're here together as God's people, worshiping Him. Now, I think God would have found a different way to make it all work out, but in the midst of of the situation and the stress, where are we going to go? well, this is what we can afford. Let's just see what God does. And he miraculously (laughs) gave us the building. What an amazing story of God's care and blessing. And we stand back and say, amen and amen. All right, let's bring it a little bit closer to our time. Because God works through difficult times too. All I have to say is the word COVID, and most people understand. I heard one of us say that COVID didn't change people. It only revealed who we really are. And that's very true for all of us, but I see that in my own heart too. My confidence and trust in God that he would get us through the pandemic, especially at the beginning. I was like, "Mm -hmm. God is good. God is good. He's going to get us through it. Never waver, but I even I have to admit that I had to constantly remind myself that God was sovereign. And if you don't believe me, walk into my office 
there is little signs all over my office saying God is sovereign. It's been up since March of 2020. And to this day, I see those to remind myself. Because when I put those up, can we just admit, we didn't know if the world was going to like explode or if everything was going to be fine. We all hoped it would be fine, and, but it was stressful. It was hard. When do we meet? How do we meet? But I had to remind myself, and as a leadership, we reminded ourselves, and we tried to remind ourselves as a whole, as, a, as God's people here, God is sovereign even over a tiny virus. And through COVID, God tried and test us, tested us as his people. Can, can we all agree with that? Individually and as a church. The church was winnowed and the dross was removed. We went through fire, the psalmist says, and through water, and yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. We, <laughs> I, was, I was speaking to um, a pastor in the area, and he was asking us our, our story, and of course it got to, as a church, and it got to COVID, and, and, and I distinctly remember having a conversation probably about January of 2020, maybe a little bit before that. We were starting to grow and grow, and we're like, we need to start thinking of the future. We're going to get, we're going to outgrow, you know, the, the worship center. And if we outgrow, what are we going to do? Are we Are going to build again? Are we going to have two services? And we have to do that. We decided, no, we're not going to do that. But we need to think about Sunday school rooms. And Albert pulled out his blueprint that he made like 30 years ago. And, and we're looking at it. We're like, oh, man, this is okay. And we're just trying to think ahead. We're not like, this is absolutely going to happen. But, huh. And then March hits. And for what, five, six weeks, nobody was in this, in this building. And when we started meeting after six weeks, there were 15 of us, 10 here and five with music and sound. And slowly it started to grow. And you, I'll just say, admit, as a pastor, you hope like everybody's going to come back, right? Like, let's just give it some time and everybody's going to come back. And what we have found is that not everybody comes back. Not everybody does, for whatever reasons, health reasons, personal reasons. But it, we're not the same family we were. And we can sit there and go, man, I wish so-and-so was here, or I wish so-and-so was here. And we do. We miss our friends and our family. But we can still stand here as God's people and say, how awesome are the deeds of of God, because guess what? God doesn't stop working just because so-and-so doesn't show up. Okay, if I, if I wasn't able to preach today, suddenly the church would disband and run away, right? No, God is still sovereign. He is still good. And as difficult, and let's just make that personal COVID, as difficult as COVID was personally, as God's people, it winnowed us and it removed the dross, what the Bible calls sanctification. Because when, when you realize that no matter what you do, you don't have control over this microscopic virus, you have to put your trust in God. You have to. 
And then if you get sick and there's no cure, you have to put your trust in God. You have to. And so as a pastor, as a church, what did we have to do? Individually, what did you have to do? You had to get to the point of, oh, I don't have control, though I may think I do. But I know the one who does. And no matter what happens in the future with Elm Creek, God is awesome. Because what he did through COVID, what he's going to continue to do every single day and every single week through whatever situation comes our way as a people of God or individually, he's going to use that to reveal his great and awesome deeds to us. His great and fearful deeds to us. And as God's people, what do we do? I was saying, what should we do? We should follow the psalmist's example. God, I'm praying to you. And maybe we're at the point of lament from last week. I don't know when you're going to answer, but God, I trust you. You're going you're to take care of us. Two, over two and a half, like two and a half years later, what are we doing? We're meeting regularly. God has changed us in a good way. He has used and will use those difficult and trials and difficult situations, those trials in our life to make us more like Him. And so what we as God's people do is praise your name. Thank you for COVID. Have you said that? That is what we should do. Now, don't hear me wrong, okay? <laughs> Don't go so far to say, well, Mark is all happy that all those people passed away from God. No, I'm saying individually what God has done through COVID is he has made us more like him and so we should thank him for doing that. And 17 years ago, my wife had a miscarriage. We thought we were never gonna have kids. It was a horrible time in our life to the point where we're like, well, how much is it gonna cost to adopt, and we're seminary students making, I think, like $3,000 a year, living off my parents, basically. Praise them and praise God for doing that through them. And the church that was supporting us, we're making nothing, and we're talking about adopting a child. It was a horrible situation in our life. And maybe you've had something like that, a sickness, a death in your family, or maybe something, I don't want to say small, but something like you're getting bullied at school, or you had um, you, you flunked your test or you made a massive mistake, and whatever it may be, and you're going, oh my gosh, or, or it's something outside of your control, and you're saying, what do I do? What do I do? The psalmist says, go to God, because he's going to use that to change you and to give himself glory through it. And when, we pull, when he pulls us out of that, when he pulls us out of COVID, when he pulled my wife and I out of that, the sorrow and the depression of a miscarriage, thinking we're never going to have kids, I can look back on that 17 years later and say, that incident made me who I am today, and I praise God for it. I don't praise God that I lost a child, but I praise God that he used that to make me who I am, and I pray that I'm giving God the glory with my life because of it. That's what the psalmist is saying. Because our God always hears our prayer. He just never answers it the way we want or the time. In His ways. Does that, does that make sense? 
do we do that? And then to take the example of, of the, the, the psalmist in his individual life, do we tell people, come and see, come and hear what God has done in my life? Let me tell you how he used this stupid, horrible, absolutely sinful incident in my life to bring himself glory and to teach me who he is. That's hard. <laughs> That's hard. Let's just be honest. Because if you're like me, you, know, you just want to stew in it for a while. Like, leave me, my wife says, you know, you, you need to get over this. Like, just let me be angry for a couple of days for crying out loud. Don't talk to me. And she's like, that's not how that works. Yeah, she's right. That's not how that works. God says, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrow, guess what? I have done this to you so that you can give me glory through it as my son, as my daughter. Whether you're six years old or you're 106, it's the same. Give God glory. Can we say that? Will we say that? Have we said that? in both the positive and the negative things that have happened in our life, that God has used, that God has caused, that He has allowed for His glory to reveal His awesome deeds to us. God, I pray as Your people, I pray, I, I, I beg You in my own life and in my own heart, God, that, that, that this psalm would sit and that I would and we as your people would sit in it and, and give you praise to see those things. And even if we're going through a difficult time now, Father, and we see no end in sight, <clears throat> it doesn't change who you are. You have not left us. You have not forsaken us. You hear our prayers and you give us your steadfast love. Help us, Father, to, to see that and to see the dross, as painful as the pruning may be, that in the end, Father, that you purify us, you sanctify us, you make us more like you. You remove the desire from sin, for sin more and more. You remove these things, these fleshly things in our lives, Father, that so badly want to have control of us. You change our minds and our hearts as we see what's going on in the world around us and in our culture and the sin that pervades everything. And as we become more and more depressed and down and angry that we remember you are sovereign. Great are your deeds. God, how are you going to do? How are you going to get out of this? How are you going to give yourself glory through this? I don't know, but I know you will do it. Help us as your people to focus on you, to give you the praise and glory that you are due because you are our God and we are your creation. You love us, you hear us, and through us you are given the praise and glory and thanksgiving that you are due in your name. Amen.